Welcome to Piecing It All Together. Yeah, I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. Randy, what episode are we up to? I think this is 29. Yeah, I'm, you know, people have been commenting, man, you guys have done a bunch of these in a short period of time. Are we just, like, too ambitious or what? I don't know. I mean, we are putting them out fairly regularly, but it doesn't feel to me like we're overdoing it. But Well, since the content is so limited, you have, <laughs> yeah, to, you have to listen to about five to get <laughs> yeah, your feel, get right? <laughs> <laughs> if we were doing, like, hour, hour and a half long shows, I guess we could uh, slow down the pace. But right now, I'm just, I'm so enjoying covering topics. You know, I'll see something come up and I'll say, I can't wait to talk to Randy about that. And if we just mentally say, like, oh, we'll give it about half an hour, I feel like we get a, 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 a couple good swings in, and then we open up the conversation to other people. Yeah, we can always go deeper or longer, but, yeah. you know, um, if, if we're going to swim in the deep end of the pool, I think we'll lose a lot of people, but, right. you know, we can always come back to a subject and hit it a little deeper. That's true. Time. Yeah. Listeners, let us know if there's something you want us to revisit, and uh, we'll circle back on that and uh, take it up a notch. Yeah. So this is episode 29, and we're going to talk about the power of story, but especially in the face of an overwhelming system that uh, is making a lot of people very discouraged and sort of hopeless, and we want to talk about why, why to be encouraged in the face of an intimidating system. Oh, yeah, that sounds so formidable. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a, it's a and good, that's today's word, by the way, formidable. Yes, it's going to be a good uh, Christmas episode. So if you are in the holiday spirit, uh, depending on what your holidays are that you celebrate this month, this will be a good one. It fits this time of year. Yeah. I think that was supposed to be formidable, right? Formidable? What did I say? I, no, I said formidable. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I shouldn't I shouldn't even I, attempt these I, big words. I actually don't listen when you're talking. I'm uh-huh. thinking about the next thing I'm going to say. Yeah. Which so. is ubiquitous. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I'm sure it means. So at the end of the show, we'll let you know how to participate. Jump into the Facebook group and to be a part of that conversation. You can obviously always post on the website or in the show notes. Uh, we allow comments there, so you can post there. You can email us, connect at piecingitalltogether.com. Uh, we love hearing from you. Absolutely. You know, ask any questions or follow-up that you want. If you're a Patreon supporter, obviously you have access to us there. So we're just really grateful to be um, finding more conversation partners, and we're really enjoying the feedback. So thank you for that. So, Randy, a couple months ago, probably about six or eight weeks ago, you uh, had a class. Um, they were out at your house mm-hmm. at the farm, and you invited me out, so I thank you for that. It was a really nice time to engage uh, some new students who I hadn't met before. And at the end, I had to get going, and uh, you guys were going to stay out there a little bit more, and I wanted to give them a word of encouragement. Right, and so you said something like, I've got, was it three things? Two things. I got two things left to say. Yes, I did. Something like that. Yeah. My word of encouragement to them was be brave and be bold. It probably won't work anyway. (laughs) And uh, my rationale for that is that we live in a time where the system is so overwhelming and all-consuming that the machine of the way things are, the institutionalized, entrenched way that things are. It's so dominant that it has the ability to absorb and adjust to any critique or protest. 
And so uh, the day I sort of figured this out is when I was first getting woke. I wasn't woke, and I started waking up. And I was walking through the mall back when I did such things, and I walked past one of those sort of gift stores, you know, where you can buy, like, you know, really cheap or crass, you know, Spencer gifts or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. It was like a T-shirt shop. And they had all their T-shirts out front. They were all like eleven dollars, mm-hmm. and I'm sure they were made by some kid in a sweatshop in Thailand or Cambodia. Mm-hmm. But um, and it was the most fascinating array of images on these T-shirts. There was obviously Mother Teresa. There was Saint Mary, uh, Che Guevara, Bob Marley, Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, just on and on. Bono. Uh, you know, just, and I realized that, or Jesus, obviously, and I realized that, you know, Spencer's gifts or this t-shirt company that made this, they don't care which one you buy. They just care that you buy one of the shirts. But how you get on one of those shirts, right, is to be a voice of resistance or a voice of critique or a voice of protest so that people rally around you and they respond to you. But in the end... The system has the ability to absorb that critique and appropriate it for its own benefit so that in the end you become um, a Hallmark card. Exactly. And so we talk, you and I talk about this every year when Martin Luther King uh, celebration comes around, that for most people they know the I Have a Dream speech and that's it. So he's been reduced down to this one inspirational character Inside, but if you look at his actual life and his protest and his critique, right, it's eye opening to think, uh, why don't we ever talk about that? And so, my encouragement to them was you might as well be bold, you might as well be brave, it's probably not going to work anyway. The system can stand up to any critique and any protest. So, that's part one. Did you like that part when I said that? Well, I thought it was a dose of reality, yeah. you know, maybe because uh, I remember old Bruce Coburn's song used to say, don't let the system fool you, all it wants to do is rule you. And, you know, if we don't realize that that system is out there and basically trying to uh, consume us, yeah. um, then, you know, we can get pretty starry-eyed and disappointed. So yeah. there's a there's a, 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 a formidable opponent out there and that is the system yes the the powers that be or the way things are however you want to call it the machine the man there's different ways of addressing it but like for the people that we were talking to you know if you're a a woman who's called to ministry right in your church whether it's your congregation or your denomination if they don't ordain women they don't give women the same credentials as men I was trying to say to them, this is no time for half measures and compromise and like being, being nice and waiting your turn. The, the systems don't listen to that. Move slowly. Yeah. I hear this all the time. Right. Don't use this word like white yeah. supremacy. Don't use white supremacy. You know, can you find a better way to say that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, why is that? Oh, because it makes me it uncomfortable. Makes me uncomfortable. You know? Sure. And, um, you know, I, I think there's, you know, places and, and, and for that kind of stuff, but uh, I'm not in any of those places. You know, so. Yeah. 
So I just wanted them to know, like, uh, we were talking about racial injustice and uh, gender equality and several things for which there might even be protest marches uh, one day downtown. But, you know, a protest is one day and then it's over. Mm -hmm. And as long as the system can withstand that one day of people marching around, especially if they applied for a permit, Mm -hmm. you know, then the system gets to stay in place unchanged. So I just think that you and I live in a time where patience and um, waiting your turn and half measures and compromise aren't going to pull off what we're the changes that we know need to be made. Right on. Okay. So then they they were you know sort of surprised that I said it probably won't work, which you know I really don't. There's no reason to think it will. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you know because. Even in my lifetime, I've been a part of several movements or idealistic moments where I really thought something was going to change. And then it's amazing how, you know, the system sort of weathers or makes some half-hearted compromises. And then five, ten years later, all the heat and all the momentum from the protest is over. And the system remains either nearly unchanged or it reverts back to what it was before it made the concession. It's it's a it's eye opening to me and like discouraging, but in a way that has you know taken away my ability to be idealistic or you know romantic about it to say look there's no reason to think something's going to change. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm thinking of all kinds of things yeah. now. I'm thinking about okay slavery for example in the United States. Um, you know it was a, a bit of a hot button issue back in the day. <laughs> And so, <laughs> and so when they um, they they were able to actually create uh, a time when slavery was illegal, when it was outlawed, and there was a, just a, a few years of freedom, and and uh, black folks started to be able to move into positions, and they were, now they were the larger population, and they were the uh, moving into like state senates and those kinds of things. Um, Immediately then, after that, the realization happened, the uh, system at that time said, oh, no, 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 we don't. we got to do something. So, so what you saw was basically the implementation of, uh, you know, um, anti-miscegenation uh, laws. Woo, that's wow. a big word. That is a uh, big word. Race, race mixing. Yeah. And uh, the Ku Klux Klan begins and the white citizens councils begin and and then, uh, and then that takes us all the way up into the civil rights movement, right? And so now we have uh, uh, voting rights acts and things like that that came in the mid-60s. And, and then, you know, the system uh, lets loose of that for a little bit. And now the system is back. And so we have the prison industrial complex. We have uh, uh, especially young black men, but not, not exclusively young black men. Uh, young black folks and other people of color being shot on sight instead of asking questions by the police. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of ways that the system continually oh, adapts boy. and absorbs yep. you. And so uh, a, a, another um, uh, analogy, uh, uh, well, I had another in mind. I can't think of it, so cut that right. out. Okay. Yeah, and any other examples that you think of, we can certainly return to but the second half of this for me is they, you know, said, well, well, then what the heck am I supposed to do? You know? And I said, tell small stories. 
that for me is our way forward. Because all these big stories about, and I, you know, to paraphrase a famous saying, is that the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. Yeah, it was Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Yeah. But that is such a grand scheme and such a huge perspective. There's a lot of pain under that arc. Yes. <laughs> and so if you you can't live in that all the time, but what you can do is tell small stories because we don't have a story right now about about how everyone is X, Y, or Z or how the majority is going this direction, right? We're not in charge of that. But what we can do is tell our story about where we're located and about what we're doing and about how it looks in our community. And those little stories are inspiring, but they also give for people concrete ways to implement and act in their location, in their social networks. And I think that small stories are our way forward. A thousand small stories. Yeah, and actually that reminds me of the, you know, uh, if you're from the Christian faith, of Jesus and parables. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, that's kind of, not kind of, that's what he did. Right. And he made some pretty big changes. That's true. The thing I love about parables, that a lot of, I don't think I was taught to read parables correctly. I, I was always... You know, taught like, well, what's their one meaning, or you know, how what's the what's, what's the, the moral the, the right the moral of the story, mm-hmm. which is an Aesop's fable, mm-hmm. and that's fine, but that's not what a parable is. Mm-hmm. A parable is a story that comes in underneath your radar, so that your hackles are down, your defenses yes. are down, yes. and asks you to examine the preconceived notions you came in with mm-hmm. and to examine the as-is structures of the system and to to reevaluate. So it subverts. That's one of my favorite words. It subverts the way things are, but it also interrogates the assumptions that prop up or hold up the way things are. Yeah. So parables are powerful because, you know, for me, I come from a, a Christian perspective, Jesus told parables about birds trees and widows and guys who got beat up right and people who worked in vineyards and in fields workers uh, blue collar workers and um, even migrant workers some of the stories were about Um, so there's they're little stories but they make you ask questions like for instance um, in the in the parable of the good samaritan which most a lot of people know Um, You know, the thing we're not supposed to do is to say, am I the good Samaritan? That's not how parables work. The parable isn't about whether you're the guy that got beat up or you're the innkeeper who's doing the caring or, right? The parable is supposed to make you ask if you, if the way you're thinking about things, if you're thinking about them right. Mm -hmm. And if the way things are, are the way they're supposed to be. Or I would say the way God wants them. Yeah. So when you hear a story and the good guys in the story are these rabbis, these religious professionals, and they cross over to the other side of the road. But the good guy in the story is this guy from this other race who you don't think much of. And he turns out to be the good guy in the story, the Samaritan. That should make you question, right? Is the way things are the way they're supposed to be? Is it the only way they can be? It's not an allegory where 
Well, who's the God character in the story? It's not how parables work. So they're neither Aesop's fables, nor are they allegories. Yeah. Parables are, this is my favorite saying, I was taught that parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. Oh. Does that ring a bell? That sounds pretty dualistic. <laughs> but Ched Myers says that parables are earthy stories with heavy meanings. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know, I'm going to be with uh, he and Elaine, uh, Edith and I here in February. Oh. Yeah, they're doing a... Um, uh, well, I can't remember exactly the name of what it's called, a Bartimaeus Institute yeah, okay, gathering. Sure. And this one is an all-indigenous leadership Get gathering. out. No, I mean, not, not the people who are coming necessarily yeah. are indigenous, but all of the speakers are indigenous. Uh, huh. So Edith and I, yeah. uh, I know Robert Tubles is going to be there. Really? I saw a woman from, an uh, Aboriginal woman from Australia is going to be there, and two more native leaders in um <gasps> So that'll be in uh, mid-February. Yeah, so maybe... Make sure to take your recorder. Yeah, figure out how to work that thing. Get some then, audio. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, we're really looking forward to that. You know, for years, people have been telling us, you guys got to get to know Chad and Elaine, you know. And huh. So, uh, Fascinating. you guys say a lot of the similar things. Oh, yeah. So this will be our chance to for sure. spend a week down there and get to be with them. So yeah, I mean, I just, uh, I, I just took people through his book, uh, Binding the Strongman. Hmm. It's a political reading of the Gospel of Mark. You say a lot of the same things. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so here we go. This The, the, the thing about that story, the, the parable that you were talking about, too, is like the the bottom line is when he comes back from the story and it goes to the narrative the uh, the narrative that's in the the, the chapter there and he, he and he goes to the religious leader and he says you know which one of them uh-huh. and and then he he tells him go be like him so uh-huh. he says to the the guy who's religious go be like the guy you hate uh-huh. act like the guy you hate yes. Right? So that that comes down to sort of one of my things. It's just, it's not what we believe; it's who we are and what we do mm-hmm. that that makes a difference. Our our belief yes. is what we do. You know, that's an important distinction. The other thing that I see people do with parables that isn't helpful is uh, sometimes they'll read them like they're um, like they're super descriptive, like um, they're you know one hundred percent literal. Oh. So, for instance. Um, there's this one parable where uh, this, there's this beggar named Lazarus, and he's outside the gates, and he's begging. And there's this rich man. They both die, right? And uh, so here's the funny thing is everybody who would have been in Jesus' audience would have known that Jesus is telling a funny story. Because the truth is no one would have known the beggar's name, and everyone would have known the rich man's name. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's unnamed tells you that this is a parable. So then Jesus talks about how they're talking back and forth between the bad place after you die and the good place after you die. But, you know, that's that's not to be taken literally. Like, if you think there's a heaven and a hell, like, you don't say, like, oh, this is a map of the of the afterworld or something. Right, and we can talk back and forth. Like, it's not teaching us something. Jesus is being, you know... Exaggerated (laughs) or, yeah, whatever you want to call it. I mean, we would say hyperbolic, but that's a big word. Um... We would say he's he's using hyperbole to make a point, which is you know the, this guy down south. We say he's stretching it. A he's bit. stretching it a bit. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, to make a point, and so 
you know, they're not to be read. So we've said they're not Aesop fables. They're not allegories like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But they're also not literal. There's something that is being subverted. Something is being interrogated. Yeah, and this is this is the same method. Since you bring it up, and I'm thinking about what you're saying here, it's the same method that a lot of our Indian elders use. Yeah. So, um, boy, I've heard you tell some good stories. Yeah, you 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 ask a question, and they come back with a story. <laughs> yeah. And you go, "What the hell is that about?" <laughs> but you can't say that, right? So two months later, all of a sudden, ding, 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 it, it sinks in what they were saying. It's like they're teaching you something, right? Yeah. Something that you, you know, they didn't want to say how stupid you are for even asking that, first of all. And, and they didn't want to say, you know, uh, that your, 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 your question is uh, probably too elementary. Um, yeah, so that... Uh, that- Native tradition of using stories to not make a point necessarily, but to ask if you have the right point. To, to ask, what do you, do you know what you're asking? That's uh, what I think is behind a yeah. lot of that. Is that. Do you even realize what you're asking? Yeah. And and so you feel like you've been sort of put in your place, mm. but you don't feel it immediately. You you walk away going, yeah. what? What? <laughs> so parables are one of those things that... Um, unfortunately are not they're not in vogue right now they've sort of gone the way of the dodo as they say and uh, people don't reference them that much i think we could use some new parables Hmm. so it's something that i've started to ask the creative people in my life Hmm. is to help me write better parables so jesus parables are great Hmm. but we need some new ones and so as I try and get people to tell smaller stories, we need a thousand smaller stories. Mm-hmm. Part of my thing is to try and get the creative folks in my life to help me um, write some parables that will ask better questions mm-hmm. to interrogate the way things are and to subvert or undermine the, the assumptions that people come in with that, that the way things are the way they have to be, or I would say the way God wants them. Yeah. A lot of those are, I suppose, all peoples have stories like this, uh-huh. but, but we have our coyote stories. Okay. Uh, for, for Cherokees, we have Jestu stories. They're rabbit. Uh, they're, they're sort of, in fact, I think the briar rabbit stories, a lot of those came from oh. uh, our people. But uh, we have uh, those, the rabbits, the trickster, and yeah. others out west and a lot of places, the, the coyotes, the trickster. And, yeah. Coyote asks things and does things yeah. that sort of subverts yes. those kinds of things and interrogates what you're doing. And, and uh, they're really lessons to be learned, but they're more than that. Yes. I have learned so much from listening to stories outside of my own tradition. You know, one of the sad things is that when you get too familiar with a story, sometimes it can lose its punch. Hmm. Um. And that's, you know, that's my fault. That's our fault for not letting it do its work in us. But because these stories are powerful to, to come in, like I said, underneath our radar while our defenses are down and then rummage around and make sure that we, uh, that the way things are currently ordered is the way that we want them ordered. And if not to ask, well, who put them in this order? Hmm. Who said that guy is above that, you know, person and. Who, who says who's better than this? And who gets to go first and who gets to go last? And 
So I think there's something really powerful about the way we do this. They're challenging our paradigms, aren't they? Yeah. 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 So, I, you know, and I would even say that, you know, we're coming up uh, for Christians on the, on the Christmas story. Mm-hmm. I would say that the Christmas story is written in a very parabolic way. It's written as a parable that many elements of it, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm saying that many elements of it, the way that it's been told to us, are asking us to um, think about the way things are. For instance, who does God really love? Or who does God use? And so whether it's the scandalous uh, young couple that has this mysterious mm-hmm. conception story, whether it's the, the shepherds, out the, the, shepherd, the dirty right? gentile shepherds yep. out in the fields, so. whether you have these uh, foreigners from the east coming yeah. as the magi, yeah. who we end up calling wise men, which is an interesting thing. Yeah. Or if you're from New York, wise guys. Wise guys. <laughs> So it's just, you know, who's involved in that story so that the high and the low, the angels and the shepherds, Mm -hmm. right? Those who are near and those who are far away are all involved in God's plan. And don't forget about the little mice pooping in the manger and the camels that the camel spit that they've been feeding out of the manger, you know? And and then let's talk about, you know, the refugee status and let's talk about the people who Jesus hung out with and the way Jesus died. It's all in that sense undermines our sense of established sort of ideas about who God is and what religion is about. Yeah. So listeners, if you have any examples for us of stories that have inspired you or have undermined or interrogated your assumptions that you came in with, we would love uh, to hear from you. What are your favorite stories? What stories are you seeing uh, work for uh, your situation, your audience, your location. We would love to talk more about these smaller stories. Obviously, we all want the big story to change. It's just you can't live in that meta all the time, the big all the time. You can only do what you can do where you are, when you are. You know who else has a lot of good stories? The Irish. They do, yeah. They have a lot of great stories. A lot of great storytellers. Yeah. You know, I have you ever heard of this phrase, the literature of the oppressed? No. So it's like a genre of, of when people study like type, different types of writing and, and history and stuff, uh, literature of the oppressed is one of those genres or styles of writing that I'm fascinated by. So it often comes up in like, for instance, in the book of Revelation in the Bible, which people think is like this freaky LSD acid trip sort of a book, or you have to be high, you know, to really uh, read it. But it's actually, if you think about it, you know, when you have a dominant occupying force like Rome, you can't just say Rome sucks. (laughs) So if you dream of a different way the world can be, then you say, well, you know, there's this this dragon and it has seven heads wink and there are seven crowns wink you know so the city on seven hills and you have to speak kind of in code so that's literature of the of the oppressed and i've also heard that applied to the way that the irish tell stories that for um, their history that one of the things that they've had to sort of cultivate and really groom is being creative storytellers in that same way uh, because you can't always be free to speak when you have an occupying force uh, in your land. Yeah, and the same thing with um, uh, enslaved folks in this country. Mm. You know, 
It's like, you know, you swing low, sweet chariot. Yeah, you're preaching about that crossing over the Jordan River, yeah. but, you know, everybody knows we're talking about the Ohio River, right? <laughs> yes. Well, there's a lot more to be said on this, but we just wanted to uh, initiate a conversation. We want to hear from you. So if you want to go to the Facebook page and link to us something that would be good, if you want to email us, connect at piecingitalltogether.com. If you're a Patreon supporter and you want to send that to us, we'll use it on a future broadcast. But we would love to trade notes and to inspire a bigger conversation about smaller stories. Challenge us. Let us hear from you.